0: all right good morning good afternoon or good evening everyone i'm extremely humbled grateful and honored that we have with us today mr christopher sharp uh, based out of the uk he is the founder of the Liberation Times publication outlet. Uh, he is also a contributing journalist to the Daily Mail. In addition to a communication specialist, he's actually broken a handful of stories that have been uh, you know, disseminated, uh, dare I say, globally. Uh, but w- before we delve into those stories and uh, certain ones I'd love to pick your brain on, uh, how are you doing today, sir? And thank you so much for coming on. Oh,
1: the, the, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm a huge fan of yours um been watching like many of your interviews I love the interview that you did with um, Sean and Lou recently just superb like the way that you cover the topic is really unique and um and like, it's such a pleasure to be here um yeah I'm really really good thank you um it's been a day with me and my son didn't want to go to sleep so the wife's just got here in time <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um hopefully his teachers aren't watching and saying oh gosh he's up at that time but um <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, actually, speaking of which, before we delve into the UAP UFO topic, I, I wanted to ask first and foremost, um, it- can I ask you, I- obviously being a-, a contributing journalist to the Daily Mail, um, may I ask your personal perspective on the way in which the Daily Mail covers certain stories or developments and I say this in, in a good faith manner because Maybe I'm incorrect here, but what I've gathered, whether it's based out of, you know, a European or North American Western or, you know, uh, again, the UK um, uh, and their publications, the Daily Mail seems to really dare I say, have a little more scruples than others, whether it's breaking things pertaining to, you know, the, um, the Hunter Biden story or what have you, and I'm not trying to get political or divisive, but they seem to break stories that are that, I mean, the data and the, the data they report on speaks for itself in and of itself. So can I ask uh, in your personal perspective, sir, what you think or, or why you think the daily mail stands out in that regard compared to others? Cause yeah, they, sure. to me, I... to me, they do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, like, there are some very, very controversial stories um, coming out of um, the Daily Mail. And that's been a historic thing, um, certainly my lifetime. Uh, they've covered stories that may have been controversial. Um, I think that reflects a bit of the culture of the, um, the English newspapers. It's not quite a tabloid, I'd say. It's not like the sun and um, the mirror. Um, so I like to think of it as, like, between that kind of, like, newspaper and something like, say, the Telegraph in the UK as well. Um, also, I mean, I, I guess you can say that the editorial probably reflects more of kind of like a centre-right um, kind of perspective. But um, I think if you look at it from a holistic kind of point of view, it's, it's, the, most, it's the most read English language news publication in the entire world.
0: Right, and it's
1: right. not just the news stories that, like the political stories and stuff that people read. It's the sports stories, the entertainment, um, and all these other kind of like stuff coming out of it. And you know, people will usually like kind of like read, the, you know, the latest gossip story or something like that from the Daily Mail. And then there'll be like in the right-hand side another story that will come up, and you know about you know UFOs and stuff like that. And you know, that's how people can kind of like get into this topic. And I think. You know by bringing it to like a, a larger audience let's say um i think you know it, it's a really really good kind of like thing especially if we can report it in the correct way which um you know josh boswell who's the journalist who i'm working with and myself are trying to do um so i guess yeah i mean you can you can understand like the context and stuff and the reputation it has but at the end of the day i, I just try and think I, i'm all about the topic you know I'm right. more about pushing the ball forward so you know I can only control what I can control um, and you know for myself it's an curve like by reporting it for the Daily Mail in the context of it's the most read <laughs> online publication um, in the English-speaking world so yeah and, and I see this is a real good opportunity to report and story pro- correctly
0: so it's um, certainly a pleasure for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, and again, I don't uh, with the utmost respect, I don't mean to put you on the spot in any regard, but there's been recently a transition in the last, um, it would seem to be three to six years of the the masses and the belief of the masses, or at least the, the ideological view of people going, you know, five, 10 years ago, if someone had proposed, there was even not a, a rigid one, but even a loosely, um, a conglomerated structure of individuals, um, that have been segregated across different parts of the world, pertaining to the control of media and what can and cannot be published. You would have been, we would have been called a nut job. Nowadays, there seems to be a little more. People still call at least me a nut job, but they kind of go, "Hmm, Dave, there may be something there." So, without putting you on the spot, do you, sir, um, have uh, any inclination to potentially be open to the possibility there is a control structure within the uh, Western world of media, the European world of media? Um, or am I? Am I going off to, to, too far off the beaten path there?
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, t- I totally get that. I totally get it. And uh, I mean, I I'm also a communication specialist as well. So um, I've been like on the other side of that, like from public relations, trying to sell stories into journalists and stuff like that. So I've had a bit of experience in terms of um, that kind of stuff. And um, I mean. Obviously like when you think of newspapers and stuff like there always seems to like be a political agenda with most of them so you know in terms of ownership and stuff you know you have um, Rupert Murdoch for instance who's quite a conservative kind of figure and he'll usually be someone who's kind of like supporting those kinds of of newspapers to push like an angle out there and it gives him power you know we've seen the same with Jeff Bezos as well like you know, owning a newspaper now, so that gives him some influence and power and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I think it's just like you know, you sometimes just get you know some really really powerful kind of individuals, and it kind of uh, gives them that kind of extra extra weight, I guess, to get right. their kind of um, views uh, views across to help their kind of interests. If you're going to look at it that way. Um, but from my personal experience, like working with um, newspapers and like just getting a story in it's all about like news values and stuff like that. It's all about like having a good angle to the story. Um, and I think what like the Daily Mail looks for in particular is like visuals, you know, they want, they want to like, look very, very visual in terms of like, the images and, you know, potential videos and stuff that you're getting across. And I, and I guess as well, like, you know, stories will sometimes be sensationalized in some newspapers as well. But saying that, saying that, I think it's, it's changing. The landscape is rapidly changing as well. So. Um, a lot of my stories obviously come out of the Liberation Times, um, and you're getting lots of kind of like independent publications now, bloggers coming out. And actually, you know, as you saw in the Liberation Times um, earlier this month, we were the first ones to kind of like break the fact that hearings might be around the corner. And that was before the New York Times. That was before a lot of the other mainstream publications. Um, so I think you're seeing as well that kind of like the established media is coming up against a lot of um competition from you know grassroots efforts and um individuals such as myself and other people online especially in terms of the uap topic and i like to think you know that i still do retain that control you know so if anyone wants to come up to me saying you know chris i don't want to report that story i'm kind of like that's fine (laughs) you know i've still got my own publication but for the record i've never been told that by the daily mail and um you know they've got such a you know like my, my relationship with josh is so good and such a cool guy well if i, I fantastic right if, if
0: i could say i, I don't mean to uh, create a, a sort of gotcha question pertaining to the daily mail as a matter of fact to, quite to the contrary i think the daily mail has done in my humble opinion a very good job of balancing out different developments and stories and trying to show both perspectives relative to uh, a perspective that is um that is not you that is unique compared to the rest of what the media is saying out there and to speak to that you had a, a superb story that i i remember um mr ross colthart actually uh brought to my attention uh back in i think around christmas time pertaining to the um uh and the exclusive you did with the sun uh from your uh of course your publication the liberation times and i'm just reading here from uh, mysteriousuniverse.org. mysteriousuniverse.org. Uh, writer uh christopher sharp released an interview with a former u.s air force nuclear weapons technician who claims he saw an orb during a nuclear weapon transport and a six foot tall shadow person inside a secure area of whiteman air uh, Air Force Base in Missouri between 2003 and seven. Now, what's interesting here is that and I quote, according to, um, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Adrian Reister, nothing was ever reported because if you did, you might be considered mentally unstable and have your clearance and PRP status PRP stands for personal reliability program revoked End quote. Does this, I, I want to ask you this in correspondence with what I just asked about a control structure, do you do use, or a potential one, do you see, um, for example, people like in this particular case, just so I don't, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Reister, do you see someone like him um, being more comfortable in coming forward compared to, say, five, ten years ago, where he probably would have not even potentially spoken to anybody?
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's a pretty good question, um, Dave. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I, think, um, I don't think he would have come out. I, mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of him, obviously, but I, I don't know. I just don't see that kind of person. have. I, I don't see any like major stories of lots of witnesses um, coming out of the shadows like they are now. And, and it's not just Adrian. You know. I've got some other stories that are going to be broken quite soon of other military veterans as well, who are now coming out of the shadows to tell their story because they've seen what's on the news. They've been on UFO Twitter. And they see now that the stigma is actually fading away. So now they feel that they're not going to be called a crackpot or a loon for coming out. And an actual fact, you know, like Adrian. Adrian has so much courage and he's such a hero. And I like to think because he came out and told his story, that others are going to be involved and to come out as well and have the courage to actually tell their own stories. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's how I think about it. And, um, yeah, obviously, like... There's a lot of stigma, um, especially like in the US Air Force and stuff like that. And it's all, all to do with the culture and stuff like that um, within there that you'll be laughed at. Um, and, you know, especially if you want to get high, if you want a promotion and stuff like that um, in the US Air Force or even the US Navy, it doesn't help if you're reporting UFOs. And, and that needs to change. And, and that's the stigma that I believe that people like Chris, Sean and, and Lou are trying to tackle right now, especially within the US Air Force, whereby you will actually be able to, you know, there'll be a safe space, let's say, where you can actually report um, such sightings because if you read the latest um, Chris Mellon piece, for example, it seems as though um, naval aviators and US Air Force pilots are actually kind of um, training in the same areas. And the naval aviators are reporting UFO sightings and stuff like that. And you know, they may even be seeing it on the radio and stuff. And that's all being reported. But the US Air Force pilots who are training in those same areas, they're reporting nothing, complete silence from them. So yeah, I, I think in terms of that, you know, it does come from it does come from the top, you know, and pilots need to be briefed saying, look, um, there's no stigma with this anymore. Um, we really want you to actually come forward. And you know we assure you that if you do come forward with reports, it's not gonna have any impact on your career. We're not gonna think you're crazy or anything like that. Just please come forward because obviously this is now
0: really high priority for uh, national sh- security. Right, thank you. Well, speaking of which I did wanna ask actually and sort of um, in real time, uh, compare notes, if you will, uh, Pertaining to United States Naval Intelligence and the United States Air Force, have you, sir, found, um, again, not without having to divulge any any uh, sensitive information, of course, have you found a... Um, I don't want to throw a blanket term on neither naval intelligence or the United States Air Force because I'm certain there are genuinely very good people uh, up and down the chain in there, truly. But have you found any type of... Um, a uh, culture of suppression or fear intimidation, particularly between the Air Force and naval intelligence that seems to be or seem to you to be more prominent than in other branches of the of the Department of Defense or the military.
1: Good question, good question. Um, I mean, I haven't spoken to many Navy guys personally, so, I find it quite hard to contrast that, but also I'd say the u- the u s army as well I would say that without giving too much away, there right. may be some stigma and lack of protocol um within there as well, maybe even witness intimidation um according to maybe one source or two um so i mean that might that might exist um and when we're looking at that and where that's actually coming from it's very difficult because in terms of chain of command and stuff you know you just have one person telling um yeah the something okay that guy saw you so tell him to shut up tell him to shut up and not talk about it. but then again yeah. you don't know who that sergeant got that order from and the person who gave that order you may it, it do you know what I mean? It could just go from this person to this person, it, it scales up because
0: the, it scales because of the compartmentalization, right? And exactly, ah, I, that's I, it. right, right. I, I wow, okay. I, I appreciate such a truthfully, sir, such a such a candid answer because a lot of people that I've asked, whether on or off the record, have uh, really been hesitant in that regard, especially uh, not so much pertaining to naval intelligence, but more so to the air force. Now, uh, and I one more thing I did want to ask before asking about another uh, division of the government. Have you found in your humble opinion, and I want to be clear for the audience, um, whether watching or listening, this is not a jab at anything pertaining to uh, anything negative pertaining to the occult. But have you found a, an occult based culture or influence anywhere uh, in the Air Force or in other branches of the United States, um, either army or government? And again, for better or worse is not for me to say just I I, I say occult very blanketly.
1: I wouldn't say so much that, but I would say that there is is some kind of like evangelical influence there. Okay. Um, Okay. And I mean, if you look at all these stories about Collins Elite, for example, that have been around for a long time in terms of um, these individuals, let's say, who are very, very high up, have a lot of influence. And there is even also the rumor as well, obviously just speculation here, that um, Gary Reid, was kind of acting on their behalf, <laughs> um, and I and I would say that, that there is actually a Netflix documentary about one of the evangelical groups. I'm forgetting the name of now, but we can we can maybe put it in the notes or something afterwards. Sure. Um, but it's basically penetrated um, U.S. politics, um, political parties, <clears throat> and also it's penetrated like. Um, you know, the DOD and a and bureaucratic side of the government as well. Um, and um, I find that quite troubling because if you do look at, like, the history of this group, it's got quite a controversial history as well, which is what the documentary is about. I really wish I remembered the name of them now. Um, but, yeah, I, I I'm, it's it's very, very... MJ, MJ-12? No, it's not MJ-12. It's actually a well... it's. I say it's a well-known one but I can't remember the name at the moment. Um, let me just see
0: if I can find it quickly. Um, religious. No problem at all. Um, we Actually while you're looking for this I will read out to the audience that um, okay apparently now again I want to be very uh, clear and vigilant that I am not reading the uh, official Collins elite definition, because depending on where you look, it's sort of scattered, so to speak. But I guess that speaks to, you know, um, the whole point of this. But the concept behind the Collins elite is that this is a group of uh, loosely conglomerated and associated individuals across various um, institutions and entities and departments and programs of of, the United States federal government, and I believe more so, Specifically within the Department of Defense that hold a perspective that all and any, if not, or or at the very least, the vast majority of what we call, uh, you know, unidentified aerial phenomenon and the the inhabitants, the alleged inhabitants of said craft or of said, uh, you know, bodies of craft are demonic no matter what. This is apparently uh, uh, based on evangelical upbringing. That, in my own personal research, I want to be clear—not speaking on behalf of Mr. Sharp here—in my own personal research, I found to be quite avid and, and uh, prominent within the United States Air Force. Interesting that, again, it's in the, the within the same branch that is, um, I guess you could say that uh, is guarded to protect the skies of uh, of America. So, you know. Interesting that that's the case, as, as well as naval intelligence pertaining to U.S.O.S. unidentified submerged objects. So, as I understand it, Collins Elite—they're basically a group of individuals that kind of just go, "Nope, anything you know, anything that one could view potentially—not saying this is correct, but view potentially as new science—is just you know, demonic. Too bad, uh, you know, go uh, screw off, so to speak. Would that be a, a fair uh, assumption mm-hmm. to make, uh, sir?
1: I can can clarify that. One moment, because you were saying about um, naval intelligence, and I found it really important in terms of USOs. Um, And I mean, that's something from my understanding they've not been so forthcoming about um, because it seems that the USOs, like UFOs, for example, they're they're attracted to nuclear technology, nuclear assets. And when talking about USOs, it's the nuclear submarines. So I can understand why they're being very, very secretive about that, because that's the nuclear deterrent. Um, so it's kind of like of the utmost importance that you keep those assets secret in terms of where their location is and stuff like that. So I think it's very, very unlikely that you'll ever hear many, or if any, reports about like USO incidents involving nuclear submarines just for the purposes that you have to keep those assets safe and you can't right. give out the kind of like location of them um, and the more intelligence you provide your enemies, the more likelihood of that happening. And just on the flip side there as well, there is, if you read Tom Rogan's excellent article in the Washington Examiner, um, there is a real fear here that um, China and Russia may be back engineering the technology. And if they back engineer the technology, they may have the capability that UFOs do that seemingly are able to actually find any nuclear asset, even hidden nuclear assets the US has. And that provides them the possibility of neutralizing the nuclear deterrence of America. And that,
0: that puts the whole world in danger. That's why it's so important. Right. Okay. So sp- following along that, 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 that train of thought there, what is the, uh, regardless of the department, uh, the agency, you name it, uh, or the people that you've spoken to on or off the record, what is the most consistent... Um, Understanding that you've been told that you can speak on publicly of this phenomenon, that they're—have um, you received, for example, a most common answer of "oh, they're us from the future" or they're this or that? If I may ask, I am of the humble opinion—not not to be a cop-out answer here, a cop-out guy—but I'm I'm of the opinion it's probably all of the above. But if I may ask, what is the most consistent or common thing that you are told off the record? On the record that parallels with your research?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, um, I can I can be really forthcoming about this. And the sources that I speak to at least are basically just saying that we, we, we still don't definitively know what it is, which is why now we're going into these um, these public hearings just to find out the origin, because um, uh, Congress is getting re-repeat off at the moment because they keep on getting these reports showing, oh yeah, more UFOs, more UFOs, and a lot of them may be quite, well um, fres- not frustrating, they-, they could be quite, um, let's just say, <laughs> alarming. And you keep on getting these reports, basically, but no one seems to be doing anything to find out what their origin, what the origin is, where they come from, what the intent is, and all these other things, basically. And it just can't go on like this. So that's from my understanding, just kind of like from DOT people that I speak to. But um, I mean, I think maybe like in the Air Force, um, maybe in the Department of Energy, that's where you get a little bit more advanced, potentially, if people actually do understand a lot more about this issue and inside some saps and stuff like that that
0: sorry just to clarify sap for the audience stands for a special access program and thank you for bringing up the doe department of energy i was going to ask you about that next but please finish your thoughts sorry
1: no of course Uh, i think if you can get if you can kind of penetrate those um kind of bodies then i think you could potentially Um, find a lot more about what is actually going on in terms of the original intent and stuff like that, especially as the DOE is kind of like controlling a lot of, well, most of all the nuclear assets and stuff like that, and is actually tasked with defending um, the nuclear weapons that the U.S. has. So, I mean, yeah, I I think that's a really, really sensible um, place to start. And also there is, you know, this relationship between the U.S. Air Force and DOE as well, and that you know, Kirtland Air Force Base, for example, where you've got the United Air Force there. And also you've kind of got the the DOE there as well, which is like um, they have a function there from my understanding of actually protecting the um, nuclear weapons of the U.S. So,
0: I mean, a lot of these bases, they perhaps may be working together. Okay, now speaking of which, have you heard by chance of the term, I believe it's been coined by Mr. Jacques Vallée called the Invisible College? Yes, yes okay uh, could you explain very quickly briefly um, your understanding of the invisible college for the audience and then we'll I'll get to my question on that
1: It's a group of elite kind of like scientists
0: um, academics studying,
1: slash academics yes study studying um, uh, studying the phenomena um, from a variety of like different different perspectives in terms of like you know biological, um impacts, you know, the physics, repercussions, engineering, just all this stuff basically. And um they kind of like have this kind of like network where they, you know, um speak speak with each other and kind of like um swap notes and stuff like that and kind of like collaborate, but it's all kind of like done underneath the surface. Um and I from my understanding they'll never kind of admit that they are <laughs> in this like secret college
0: so right so the idea is that they and please forgive me if i if you think that i'm taking this out of context but the idea behind the invisible college similar to collins elite is that they're ideologically driven they may be scientists and academics scattered across you know um uh academia um off you know in in the department of defense you name it but would you allegedly, they are responsible for better or worse is not for me to say, and I think it can go both ways when we look at that, but we'll put that aside for a second. They seem to be the gatekeepers of a lot of these quote unquote uh, extremely advanced materials science knowledge or materials knowledge. Um Again, we see, for example, recently uh, from ATIP and the DIA, we see the 38 technical papers that were done in 2009, 2010, um, which were given to uh, Bass by the DIA and all of that. Now, what's interesting about this is that we have uh, Dr. Eric Davis on um, uh, Stephen Green Street's The Basement Office, I think last year or the year prior, talking about how there was much more that came out of ATIP than just the 38 technical papers. But the, the issue, the conflicting issue was that they were concerned, the individuals within ATIP were concerned that leadership, if briefed on certain elements and aspects of the program, would not be forthcoming because of their ideological beliefs that we discussed pertaining to things like Collins Elite. And so these individuals, certain ones, not saying, not accusing anyone of anything, to be clear, held back a lot of the findings, developments, knowledge, you name it. What I'm essentially getting at here is would you in your humble opinion think um that if you had to sort of put your wager or put uh, put your money on where some of that may or may not have gone the department of energy may be that that uh maybe not the only branch but a key branch and i say this because it's been alleged that the doe has not had a, you know strict oversight for arguably ever but <laughs>
1: yeah I mean, um, obviously Department um, of Energy you've got Battelle, you've got lots of anamos and all these other separate places basically it seemed very, very um, decentralized um, in terms of how it's been scattered around and stuff so um, when,
0: when you say Battelle, you say Battelle Memorial Institute:
1: that's correct yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and and um, if you listen to Jacques Valet, for instance, there was an incident over Washington in the nineteen fifties, but it flew over the, the White House, and he claims that they um, shot at the the objects, and actually some material came off of it, and that went straight to Patel, um, and I find that really interesting. And also as well, if you've ever watched, well, I think you probably have, the phenomenon, um, Jacques Vallee, um, you know, he, he's saying how they're investing investigating project um with project blue book and he found evidence that there was a parallel much better funded investigation going on at the same time um involving patel as well so i found that I, I find that really really interesting
0: um, well i think major major donald kehoe in 1958 if i'm not mistaken um i, I believe that he went on i think forgive me if it was uh, CBS, NBC, he went on a, a station and his uh, his feed was cut because he said something that I think it seemed as though, maybe I'm incorrect here, he felt uh, was sort of weighing on his conscience um, pertaining to the, the real truth behind Project Blue Book. And I'm just paraphrasing. He had said something along the lines of, if anyone truly looks into this or has access to the information that I've had, you could tell that you will know immediately it's not of at least uh, of this planet knowingly, and it is intelligently controlled. And that's when, it, right before then, they seem to have cut his feed there. Does, is that, uh, that, 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 that makes sense, correct?
1: I think um, some of those who are deeply involved with Project Blue Book had the tools and the understanding and the experience and knowledge to know that it was actually, um, potentially not of this, of this world, I, I I definitely believe that, and I think it goes quite deep, but also I believe that, in my opinion, I think there was something much more secretive than Blue Book, and the people involved with that probably had a much better understanding about what was going on due to the funds and resources that they had at their disposal um, and we're maybe talking um, we're maybe talking kind of investigations here that had access to materials and maybe even bodies, let's say, as well. So I think if you want to really kind of like look to see where it was, I think, you know, if you're looking at the DOE, that's probably, you know, the, the, the correct direction to look to look at.
0: The, right, the Department of Energy, because we see it's a, it was officially founded in 1977. And what's quite peculiar is that there seems to have been an unofficial DOE operating prior to then based on the Manhattan Project and in correspondence to the uh, Atomic Energy Commission that was headed by Edward Teller. And again, we see that, you know, again, depending on, you know, Bill U-House, Mr. Lazar, not saying that they are uh, truthful nor uh, untruthful in their statements, depending on each uh, own uh, person's uh, respective views on that. Have you, um, by any chance, I mean, when we had uh, Mr. John Greenwald on from the Black Fault, we brought up an article from the LA Times from, I think it was the the 80s, where we talked about, again, um, there was a... uh, something like uh, you could to me it screamed money laundering I'm not saying that's what it was but I saw you know 75 dollar screws two thousand dollar toilets something something like this that screams to me as inflating the cost of everything to launder the money but at the same time have you come across in your research without um uh, respectfully putting you in a corner anything having to do with black money or in money laundering within the pentagon that funded some of these um legacy programs that may have been transferred to private contractors down the road
1: um, so i know that there is like literally like
0: billions of
1: missing money in, in the pentagon i think it was donald bronsfeld who um who kind of like spoke out about that um, in two thousand and one. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really, I mean, you know, from experience of working with contractors and stuff like that in my job, we know that obviously sometimes the jobs, they get bloated in terms of the, the budgets and stuff like that. So maybe that's one asset of it, aspect of it. Um, maybe it's black projects, but I mean, somewhere along the line, they seem to have lost track of where the money is actually going. Um, and in terms of inflated costs, I'm not sure. It's very, very difficult in terms of actually finding out, especially if you're you're working with like really exotic technologies and stuff like that, it's very difficult to kind of like contrast it to anything to actually say this is really, really inflated. Um, Right. I mean, also, it must be very, very difficult auditing these black projects as well, and actually where the money is going. But I mean, something seems amiss. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of corruption in in governments, governments across the world. just literally everywhere. Like you look at my wife's country, for instance, Philippines. You know, corruption's rife right there. Right
0: um,
1: across all of government. Um, I don't know. In in terms of the US, they seem to have a a better record than other governments. But I mean, who knows where that money is going? It really is a mystery, and I think a lot of people would like to find out where that
0: missing money is. R- oh, right. Now, speaking of which, to to add on to that. Have any of your sources, again, whether on or off the record said to you or even in your own research, have you found an, uh, one of two cases to be the situation? Anyone has potentially, I'm paraphrasing here, said, um, you know, Chris, uh, you know, there's some of us that want this stuff to come out. But, you know, for example, um, again, we have, for example, 2001 or the year 2000, Don Phillips, former Lockheed Skunk Works uh, um let me see former Lockheed Martin skunkworks division, excuse me, airs, um, USAF, CIA um, private contractor. He was talking about how in the uh, early to mid eighties, if I'm not mistaken, they had um, handheld devices that could scan and treat and cure the body of a good chunk of what we call cancers. And um, he said, well, Oh, you know, the beloved FDA. And because of all this getting out, it would, you know, rupture the power structures of the world, big oil, big energy, you know, all this kind of stuff in my research has found two major things that have caused a lot of this to allegedly be kept secret, regardless of what the this is. Um, first off, a lot of these individuals uh, simply embarrassed that they've been lying for so long. They don't know how to come clean in a way that covers themselves in a legal sense and what have you. In addition to what I just mentioned there about, again, you know, the, the suppression and all that. So um, have you found this to be the case on your end, sir, or am I uh, am I going left field there?
1: <laughs> no no certainly not i mean i've spoken to a um so just from my own personal experience here nothing uap related or anything like that but just talking to people i know one former army veteran for example who told me that during the 1990s the british army had something you know very very similar to what we would have as a smartphone right now so <laughs> the technology was very very advanced this was when sorry um, in the 90s in the 90s yeah that's what he claimed to be Um, and there was another guy as well he recently passed away sadly and um, he worked in the royal navy between the 1950s and 1980s he retired just before the falklands war i believe and i asked him i said look is there technology that you know of we still don't know about today but if we did know about would blow our minds and the answer was yes and a lot of well
0: that still hasn't seen the light of day I believe, okay, so to add to that uh, to that question, I was told by someone off the record that slide nine, that leaked from, um, uh, that alleged leak from Mr. Christopher Mellon's private server uh, pertaining to, you know, the alteration manipulation of biological organisms, uh, transmedium, you know, uh, a unique human cognitive interface. And at the very bottom, it said, you know, uh, what was once considered um, ex- science fiction is now quantum physics or something along those lines i was told myself off the record dave that's a um that's a conservative list uh would you uh, have you been told anything similar by chance uh maybe not exactly pertaining to slide nine but pertaining to the technologies being discussed surrounding slide nine mm,
1: that's a really good question and um i think in terms of the quantum i, I mean There are two great mysteries in science at the moment. The first is quantum physics and how it works. For example, the two-slit experiment, quantum quantum entanglement. Um, It seems that there is no consensus. I mean, even haunted um, Einstein until his death. And he kind of like, you know, no consensus
0: reality, because it's been proposed that Einstein was going off of Heaviside's equations and not Maxwell's. So apparently he was starting on a basis that was already um, deliberately butchered, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, no, no, it seems to be the case. And he was calling it spooky action at a distance? Um, but I mean, I mean, and there's obviously the other thing as well, which is consciousness. which seems to be a very, very um, mysterious thing that science still can't really understand and grasp. And um, and I think that. You know, you've had um, Stuart Hammerhoff, Hammer, Hammerhoff um, kind of like, discuss this in terms of consciousness and the link between that in quantum um, quantum physics with the microtubules, um, and I find that really, really compelling in terms of what they're kind of like saying. And also, like I would say as well, another good guy is Robert Lanza as well. Um, he's got this theory called biocentrism, which kind of like links um cover kind of like biology with quantum um quantum um, physics so for instance like we only see things through the apparatus of our mind you know like Louis zondo said a lot of times you know we can only actually see like, you we can only let like, see like 0. 0.0.1 0. 0. of reality we can't see microwaves we can't see um you know radio waves we can't see any of that like our we're only absorbing. Waves-
0: Right, we're only absorbing certain photonic information structures relative to what our brains can perceive within the light spectrum, and even that, in of itself, is—dare I say—um—a potential uh uh. Dare, uh, I don't want to say disadvantage, but again, as you had said, the way in which you know, for example, right now there's an organic biosensor that is electromagnetically sending a, a signal to my brain, telling me I am holding this pen right and and you know but it takes time for that to get to the brain and interpret so i think what you're saying is there could be things all around us we won't we wouldn't even realize
1: that's correct yeah and reality is very very subjective as well or it takes is a little bit of kind of um engineering let's say and you know um you know geneticists can every time you see the color green a geneticist can make you see the color purple uh, I mean, it's just how our brains actually filter reality. We kind of like think that that is the real reality that our brains actually filter out. I
0: I, I find it interesting that speaks to whether for better or worse is not for me to say, but that speaks to the, you know, the, the phrase. It's not, uh, unfortunately, it's not how it is. It's how it appears to be. Yeah. Right, right. Now, I, I wanted to touch on as well. I mean, uh, obviously being the founder of Liberation Times, uh, what motivated you um, to start Liberation Times? And I say this in a in a in a purely good faith, positive way. I think we need more people like yourself, and I think Liberation Times needs to actually be exposed uh, in in a more prominent manner globally. But what what inspired you?
1: Uh, I, I actually quit my job um, in July twenty twenty one. It was just getting too much for me. I was like working, um, you know, six am to- 12 midnight, my wife's a nurse, um, she was working really long hours as well, and we had to look after my son, and it just, without going into too much detail, it just wasn't working out, I was feeling the pressure, you know, so I was thinking, I cannot do this anymore, so I couldn't quit my job, um, I intended to go freelance in terms of what I do with comms, um, but just so happened, I had two months um, where I was being paid about doing work, Fantastic. Um, so I decided, okay, what do I do in that spare time? So I got really bored. Um, and in my previous job, I'd learned how to create websites and stuff. And I thought, actually, let's just create like a, uh, a UFO kind of like website. Let's not call it like UFO Dungeon or something like that. Yet. It's called, called it Liberation Times. It seems a little, a little bit more legitimate. And it just started from there. And I mean, like the first stories were just like very, very basic. And it wasn't all UFOs at first either. But then, kind of like I was talking to some of my friends, who would give me advice, and they said, "Look, just focus on the UFO stuff and add a bit more analysis and stuff like that, um, and then you'll have some really good stories." And it just, yeah, it spiraled from there, and it just like took off, you know. And I had, you know, Lou, Elizondo, Christopher <clears throat> Mellon retweeting my articles, Tom DeLonge, and you know, even Leslie Keen, you know, and people like that were kind of like sharing my articles, and it just came from. From nowhere, you know, and, and suddenly this like big thing is happening. And I mean, there were people, conspiracy theorists, that say. Sorry, one second.
0: Sure, no problem.
1: So there, there were there were people, I think, at the time, just saying, "Oh, I wonder where this is." Like it was some kind of conspiracy, you know, like some person in the U.S. government who kind of like being behind Liberation Times. And they were looking into my background and stuff like that. They thought like I was a government agent. I was like literally. Oh, like I a got, con-
0: like a, an intelligence-controlled opposition agent.
1: It was it was in this, It was the funniest thing ever. It was like I literally just got really bored one day, so I was doing nothing, and I created this website. I, I write all the articles. From my son's bedroom with dinosaurs. around <laughs> <surrounding
0: me. laughs> But I, I, you know, if I could say, Chris, I th- I think that speaks to the concept of again. It's not so much about you know people say, oh, you got to have this. Um, uh, even on on my end too, this uh, extremely uh you know uh high end studio, all this kind of stuff. I think people are just hungry for knowledge, and they they they're starting to realize, and they're hungry for data, and they're starting to realize okay it's great when you know we turn on the tv and we see this nice big studio or this and that and everything looks good but the information they're conveying from that that studio is like dare i say you know not exactly um delivered in a way that many of us probably would prefer to have it delivered to us as
1: yeah i think that obviously there's a lot of like mixed mixed views out there in terms of um people's truths let's say in the narrative that they're actually carrying um i i mean at the end of the day i have my opinions in terms of what's going on but i'm not attached to those opinions you know if the facts change then i'm ready to kind of like change my opinions um but a lot of my sources who are highly credible are telling me stuff and like i can't think of any better sources you know that are actually telling me this and I have to report what they're saying um, in my stories at the end of the day, but
0: yeah. This is what I find quite interesting. And and again, this is not a a jab or attack at anyone whatsoever. And I, I genuinely mean that. I find it quite peculiar that even not just today, but even you know many years ago. I think this speaks to the, um, as Hal Pudoff said on Jesse Mitchell's show with Eric Weinstein, how the uh, the stigma program worked quite well on uh, on the masses because, and I must admit, even to myself, it did too. I'm if you had asked me six months ago would I consider it truly the possibility of what we call shape shifting reptilians? I would say I'm not sure, but now you know, reading academic papers, looking into how light waves and th- you know science can you know seemingly indicate or at least lead us to a handful of conclusions and that being one of them it's like oh wow okay um so essentially overall when you take a look at the situation at hand pertaining to uap ufos and all of this do you find a um uh, do you find that it's sort of been situated into factions dare i say or elements within the united states government and I say uh, uh, relative to also the, the NATO umbrella, because I've, in my own research, I found that if you went to any European country or any other nation, except a handful, obviously, and asked about UFOs and all of that, they would say, you got to go to the Americans.
1: There's different tiers at the end of the day. So, I mean, probably about, you know, 99.9% of <laughs> um, people in the US government do not know what's going on in terms Sort of um UAP to a varying degree obviously there's a better that have there some people have a better understanding and stuff right, um, right. Uh, but I think kind of like when you're you know, let's say the public affairs office in the Pentagon for instance you know people in there may have not been read in, into what's going on and they may just think it's all a bunch of rubbish in terms of UAP but you know they didn't have the um, they, did, they, they didn't they haven't been a skiff you know, with Lou Elizondo before, (laughs) you know, the people who are actually surrounding Lou um, and Chris Mellon, who, you know, kind of had like such good access to this stuff and they're in a position. If you had, you know, like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, if you wanted to like speak to anyone about, you know, UAP, you would go to someone like a Christopher Mellon. You would go to someone like a Lou Elizondo to actually find that information out okay, now these people are actually speaking. So they understand a lot more of it than a lot of other people. Um, And in terms of the um, kind of like lower ranks and stuff like that, I think that's where a lot of the stigma is um, in terms of the US government, especially the DOD. um, And they kind of like laugh at it and stuff like that. And that may be coming from higher up in terms of like that stigma attitude those people who are in higher authorities that do have an understanding of what's going on about UAP let's say, let's say they are Collins elite and they don't want this information out, it's in their best interest to kind of like keep that alive you know. You know Gary Reed for instance, you know if I'm a Collins elite faction guy who's briefing Gary Reed and let's say he's doesn't know a lot about UAP, I'm just saying oh, it's just a load of rubbish. Right. Luis is talking absolute utter nonsense this is all just like la-la land stuff, they've gone crazy. You know, that's what I'd probably be feeding into those kinds of um, kinds of people. That's how that's how it works because, you know, as human beings, we're a group think creatures at the end of the day. And I mentioned before, you know, a lot of people, especially in the military, they're afraid of not getting promotions, uh, possibly losing their jobs and stuff like that. It does not help you if you're talking about UFOs, which has been a spring topic for so long. Let's even say, let's say if you're working like, Finance in the city of London, for example, you know, and you're managing like, you know, portfolios worth billions of pounds. Right. Okay. Now, let's say that one lunchtime you're having a lunch with some of your colleagues and a client and you start talking about UFOs. What do you think is going to happen to your career? You know, it's this is a <laughs> thing because it really yeah. does harm you. That's using a real world kind of like situation. In the workplace to show how it might work and you wouldn't say it
0: and and based on your your research and and your your um extensive time that you've delved into this um this this topic of course have you found potentially that there has deliberately been a um i don't want to say an official system but a um Again, I don't want to use the word rogue either, because I don't want that to be taken the wrong way, but a, a system of sorts within a, within the system of government that has been set up to deliberately ensure, or at least loosely ensure that some type of formal UFO reporting office or anything like this could not be uh, constructed in a good faith manner up until recently, of course, um, what I'm speaking on is say the last 60 70 years. Right. You'd have one person, the uh, uh, Air Force pilot that reports missing time and radiation burns, for example, just hypothetically, he tries to report it to do the right thing. He loses his pension. He loses you know, his, his, his wife, his kids, leave him the whole thing. Have you found that to be the case um, that there may have been, uh, you know, we see, for example, without taking his words out of context, Dr. Hal Pudoff saying to Eric Weinstein and Jesse Mitchells, there were certain things that were done so that uh, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, requests, couldn't even provide a certain data because they just simply didn't have it. Do you see that being a possibility? And I, I want to add on that, uh, add to that after after this.
1: You got John Burroughs, for example, involved in the Rendition case. Couldn't get access to his home medical records. Um, mm. So that's a really really good case and point there. Um, obviously, there is something going on. I think that the bureaucracy let's say he being structured in such a way which may have started after after the Roswell event when all these new bodies were established that seems to be pre- preventing outsiders let's say from penetrating this core of secrets right in terms of UAP um I, I think you've got a really good point there and I think as well, there may be some antagonism coming from those people. Like we were saying earlier, you know, it's, um, it's very, it's like, what, well, you know, how, how do you find out who the real orders are coming from?
0: Right. When it's so compartmentalized to the point where even the guys running the compartments may not even know the full scope of the, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So how, how do you know, where, where does that end? You know, how can you follow that? Especially, you know, when you're, you, you you know, if you're if you're like a a normal infantryman, you're not right. going to investigate. You're not going to investigate your sergeant. If you're the sergeant and you got it from the colonel, okay, you're not going to investigate the colonel. If you're the colonel and you got it from the general, you're not going to investigate the general. and See where did you get?
0: It. Right, it's and like, well, yeah. this speaks to a, a, What I was saying of as well as of of not a confirmed, but a potential or alleged system within a system or i I don't want to say you know shadow system or shadow government but again um it's interesting because again i must uh, although i actually hold on i won't i won't bring that up but if we go back to the 2001 national press club conference we see there and i must give mr dr greer mr greer uh credit where it's due in my humble opinion for that effort and initiative the 20 odd years ago we see for example um if i'm not mistaken miss carol rosin if i'm without taking her words out of context discussed how you could have say a lieutenant or you can have say a petty officer um know more about the ufo uap topic than their superior and so on and so forth almost as if there's an alternative subtle um again off the books association or club or group or compartment or compartments that you can somehow do it where again as miss as rosin i believe said at nasa you know we're sitting there and i have a top secret clearance and others have uh, much higher clearances but somehow i know more about this than they do And she goes, I don't know how they can do it, make it so that certain people know and certain people don't, but she's like, they do make it happen. So you see what I'm saying there? That seems to speak to a, um, a, again, I'm not trying to get all, you know, conspiratorial and what have you, but it seems to speak to a suppression of something over the last many decades.
1: That's interesting. It, It could just be a case of actually just identifying allies who have the necessary expertise that you're interested in. Look at Lou Elizondo, for instance. You know, he was seen by Lukowski as, ha- as having lots like, some really, really credentials and being a good fit um, to kind of like leading the ATIP effort. However, Lou's boss, Gary Reed, had no idea what he was doing, even though he was higher rank. But it would make sense to go to Lou rather than Gary Reed because Lou had the correct kind of experience and okay. skills to actually look into it.
0: That's a very... I, wow, what a... Good example. Wow. Um, I did want to read um, from your site, sir, uh, liberationtimes.com. Uh, Liberation Times, and I quote, spoke to former ATIP director Lou Elizondo about the prospect of hearings Um, Elizondo cautioned that amnesty would play an important role in the success of any possible hearings. And before I go on, I believe Mr. Ross Colthart has mentioned the same as well, too. Um, But Mr. Elizondo said, and I quote, equally important is providing Congress and the American people with any information concerning UAPs obtained through legacy efforts to include insights gleaned and lessons learned. Furthermore, in our fervor to understand the truth, we must ensure. This does not become a witch hunt, especially if public hearings become a reality. Instead, I suggest we offer some sort of amnesty in order that individuals who may have historically been associated with this topic can provide their insights freely and without fear. Only then can we ensure Congress, the executive branch, and the American people receive the information that they deserve, end quote. I really wanted... Okay, I, I, this. forgive me if this is a long-winded question, but I really wanted to... to um, I've really harped on this this proposal, whether it's from Mr. Elizondo or Mr. Coulthard about this amnesty program, similar to, I think, what was done in Rwanda, where there was a guarantee many years ago, based on the, the, the ones behind the genocide, that if they would come forward, there would be sort of like a, a quid pro quo, okay, you come forward, you lay all of it out on the table you tell everyone everything you did and in return you get some type of amnesty and your family gets put into some you know um if need be witness protection type situation if you will in order to move on and and the reason i wanted to bring this up uh, sir is because i really really am trying to toe the line even with my own show i have no problem admitting it how much should we harp and focus on the past relative to moving forward because it's if if I found myself admittedly falling down those rabbit holes in some cases. Oh, it's, you know, this person and maybe that person connects to this, but it's like, okay, hold on. That was 30, 40 years ago. Now, if it has significance relating to future progression, that's one thing, but to, to just harp on it for the sake of, like Mr. Elizondo said, becoming a witch hunt. That's when I start to say, okay, I I can understand to an extent why the amnesty program may work and, and may possibly be the only um path to work because there's no official process to to get to do all this right so do you in other words do you um do you agree with this amnesty proposal do you think it's necessary based on obviously your on and off the record chats do you think that um again as i understand it the the over my dead body silo as eric weinstein said uh seems to be losing ground so do you think amnesty in this regard would be the way to go
1: I do yes but let's see it from two different perspectives here sure um so firstly let's have a good situation right now i think i've said it before we, we can't go on like we're in the 1800s 1700s 1600s 1500s anymore having wars and stuff like that playing nations off against each other one wrong move in the ukraine and we're all dead everything yep. on this is dead zilch no more chances that's gone wiped out boom so that's it basically and um We can't mess around anymore. We need to get this information out. However, look at it from a different perspective here. Rightfully, there are people who are going to be very very aggrieved about this. You know, people who have lost their jobs, lost their families, lost everything because they came out about it. And that is wrong. And I will never kind of like pardon the the people responsible for that. You know, I will never forgive them. I will never just say, I will never have a drink for them, for example. Because ultimately,
0: if you go up the food chain, they're the reason that that person lost everything.
1: Absolutely right. but right. then again, let's change the perspective. they may have done it for a very good reason. I mean there's the whole kind of um let's, let's have a look you know there's there's the there's a story isn't there about you know a, a scenario where someone's on a on a bridge and um you know it's um it's um, and there's a rail there's a railway below it and there's a train coming towards. The bridge and um you could either um you, th- there's a person on one su- one one railway tracks and you could like save them from throwing a rock on the railway or but but then if you did that then you could put everyone at risk because it's near a cliff let's say or you could just basically let the kind of like train um go basically um so what do you choose do you choose to kind of like Save the girl who's you know tied to the railway tracks, or do you choose to kind of just let the let the train go because it may be at risk of killing everyone? You know, it just it's kind of like one of those things. You know, maybe they done that. Maybe so. It was a rubbish rubbish (laughs) analogy there that I used. No, but but I see it's
0: it's that it's that there's no there's no genuine answer with respects to how can we have a win 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 situation.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. So, I mean, it could have been that you, um, you basically, you ruined that person's life because what you were trying to protect was at the interests of like hundreds of millions of people that could be put at risk if they knew the information. And it started this kind of like whole show where everyone was getting um, scared or that's Um, that, that
0: that's that Thanos type situation where you sacrifice a few for the many and that I'm not saying I agree nor disagree with that I don't know myself where I stand with it but right
1: it's difficult and at the end of the day you know like you have to look at if you don't have amnesty it could lead to some really really ugly places and we don't have time to mess around anymore I mean look at the French Revolution for instance you know and all the killing that went on you had one revolution and you had well, another that's kind of like a set of kiddings. right?
0: Where do you draw the line, right? Because that becomes if, okay, if you want to go like, uh, as quoted in your, your great publication there, if, you know, you want to go, uh, after a, on a witch hunt for one person that leads to another. And just like when you're super happy, you just want more happiness. When you keep going after negative things in that regard, you just want more negativity. And it's kind of like, when does it ever end similar to, to greed in my, in my opinion, but right. It's fine. Um, it's potentially finding that balance. Because that's the, I hear you. This is the thing of, again, spiraling down a rabbit hole without even realizing it. Okay. We, you know, hypothetically, we witch hunted one of them. Now go for the other one, then the other one. And then at what point does that cause, um, uh, instead of, you know, taking two steps back to take five forward, it's now taking five back to take two forward. So what are you really doing? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, this is such an urgent topic right now, um, in terms of what's out there in the public from our understanding of what's happening in the world at the moment in terms of climate change, in terms of potential nuclear conflicts, you know, we need to take action on this anymore. We cannot carry on going the same way as we have for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And once we do get this information out, and let's say we possibly discover new technology, let's say if it's like zero point energy or something like that, where do we go from there? Where do we go from there? Now now let's say we've got zero point energy, for example. the most powerful kind of like destructive potential force in the world, you know, it could, it could like, you know, it could change the world for the better, you know, um, defeat climate change, defeat pollution and all these things, you know, but also it could just, it takes one person to get a hold of it and it will cause a scale of destruction, which is- Well, this
0: is a very legitimate point as, right. As it pertains to even- um, I've said it myself before too, pertaining to terrorism and things like this, right? If if there's a, if it is legitimately true and accurate that an intelligence agencies, civilian or military intelligence, have issues uh, with certain terrorist cells um, and and you know taking away or uh, trying to prevent them from obtaining nuclear materials, imagine what happens if you know alleged anti gravity or zero point energy gets in their hands. That's like, I mean, at that point you got a real problem. So I I hear you. That's a very good point.
1: That's Lou's analogy of the gorilla in the cage, perhaps. And that maybe there's other intelligences that are like, look, look at these humans, look, they're warring again in Russia and um, they're arguing amongst themselves on Twitter all the time. There's violence in the world. Can we really trust these humans with this kind of technology? The answer is no. It's an emphatic no that we wouldn't be able to be trusted. And that's why I think in terms of disclosure there must be another kind of revolution as well in terms of perhaps let's say we do gain knowledge of consciousness and how we can aspire to be better and become more civilized let's say and less violent maybe there's some kind of like secrets um that you know ESAPS saps and stuff have found out about such matters so yeah
0: right got you well i mean sir it's been it's been a fantastic uh, just over one hour of uh, a conversation um i unfortunately i'm gonna have to to wrap it up uh, but could you please tell uh, everyone about your work where it can be found where you can be found on social media and i would love to have you back on the show whenever you'd be available again oh
1: fantastic no it's, it's been a pure pleasure it really really has been um, thank you so much. So, um, yeah, um, www.LiberationTimes.com um, is my website. And um, on Twitter, it's at Liberation Times. Um, and then my personal one is um, Chris UK Sharp. Is the, yeah, that's the, um, that's the handle on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of new stuff coming out. Another new exclusive stories. Um, some will be released in Liberation Times. Some will be released in the Daily Mail um and man like we're, I'm just really just trying to push this topic forwards as much as I can if I can push disclosure forward by just like one hour you know that's that would be a win in, in my books you know man, I,
0: I, I, I res you're hard. you're preaching to the choir I can, you're speaking my language I, I can't thank you enough and from the bottom of my heart and from on behalf of my my audience and and my uh my patreon members and all of that, Truly thank you so very much, sir, for for your time and for your your honesty and your knowledge and all of that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir.